CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic, uh, joined by Chris Baker. You follow him on Twitter, at Sabres Prospects, so you can guess what we're about to talk about. Sabres Prospects. Not only they're, not only they're, uh, they're underlings, the people who are coming through the pipeline, but the Sabres Prospects on 2021-2022. Things look a little different since the last time we spoke to Chris Baker. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks, Tim. Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last time we talked, they didn't have, uh, it was before the draft. So a lot of these guys, uh, specifically Owen Power, were not formally in the Sabres fold. We but were yeah, discussing whether Owen Power was going to be the number one pick. And we, we settled that he probably probably would be, but we, we got into some other things too that were of interest. That day, I remember we said that you could also make a case for his teammate, Matty Beneers, and you know, I think you could still make a case potentially, but I mean, Owen Power does look very good. And I think Sabres fans that have been following along are realizing the type of player and the caliber of uh, human being that the Sabres have acquired via the draft there with it. Yeah. And I don't think that uh, Sabres fans are thinking that uh, Owen Power is uh, the missing piece for this season. So you might as well let him marinate down there at the college level, get that kind of experience and let that entry level contract start a year later too. Let them all marinate, man. Let them all marinate, Tim. For a you couple know? of years. Yep. Hey, uh, I don't want to uh, – the elephant in the room uh, I should uh, address. Uh, I've been on the shelf with COVID. Uh, you can tell by looking at me uh, that I'm, I look rough in many ways, not only because of the beard, but uh, I, I have to say that looking at myself right now, and if you're watching this on uh, YouTube, you can see my uh, Pete Rose hairdo. Uh, which uh, is not great. Um, and it looks even worse with the beard because my beard is white and my hair is dark. So it certainly looks as though I'm wearing a wig. Timmy Hustle. Timmy yeah. Hustle. Right. I love it though. It's like the same thing like Howard Stern's got that going on too. He's got this dark quaff and he's got the white beard. It's a very distinguished look, Tim. You look good, and but I'm glad more importantly that you're you're back and feeling better. Yeah, it was a rough go. Uh, and I, you can probably tell I'm still a little uh, stuffy. Uh, but uh, all the other symptoms are finally cleared away. It was one of those deals. I mean, every, everyone's different. So I'm not telling anybody some, you know, some uh, secret to how to deal with COVID if it were to befall you or anything like that. But mine was just uh, every day was such a gradual improvement. Usually when I have the flu or cold or something that you get it for a day or two. And then it's like, you wake up one day and you feel awesome or you feel back to normal. This was not the case. This was, 
if I look back to a week ago when I tested positive, and I think I probably had it a couple of days before that, when I, when I look a big change in a week, but from a day-to-day -day basis, hell, I didn't even think I was changing at all. It was different symptoms every day too. No good. I can't identify. I haven't had it yet. I don't, at least to my knowledge, I have, you know, and I say yet because I think that it's inevitable. You may have had it. May have had it. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, like I said, man, I mean, I I'm not surprised anymore when I hear that people have had it, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's not just, a thing. It's, it's everywhere, you know? It's not and, a thing. Um, I just want yeah. to mention because I haven't done a podcast in a week and a half. So uh, just letting people know that I haven't been uh, asleep at the switch. Or <laughs> I guess I should also, it's a self-deprecating thing. Uh, it's not as though I have some big expose uh, that's in the chamber uh, that I'm ready to unleash, that I've been diligently working away on some uh, on some big investigative piece. No, nope, you always just been sleeping lots a lot. Of irons. You always have lots of irons in the fire, though, Tim. We know this. I do. I do. And in fact, uh, the, this is a recording at a very unusual hour for me. Uh, we're recording this early on Friday uh, before, well, the sun's up, I guess. But anyways, uh, I do have calls to make uh, before the weekend. Chris, uh, we would have spoken a long time ago if it weren't for my illness, because we need to break down this Jack Eichel trade. And you can say that, uh, oh, geez, uh, nobody cares anymore. But this is the perspective that Chris Baker has. Um, I think that it's important to hear your thoughts, especially on the return investment uh, that the uh, the return on the investment, I guess I should say. I don't even know if that's the right phrase. As much has been invested in Jack Eichel. Uh, this is selling short uh, in, in some regards. I guess I'll just leave the floor open to you, Chris. Your thoughts on, on the Sabres. I'll just set it up. Uh, Peyton Krebs, Alec, uh, Alex Tuck, uh, a first-round pick and a second-round pick, and there's conditions on those picks. Um, not exactly what Kevin Weeks was uh, touting, but uh, uh, what, what's your thoughts on, on the, on the uh, haul that the Sabres uh, procured? Yeah, it's interesting how you position that, too, because I think, um, you know, you're never really going to get back full value on what the organization invested in to Jack Eichel, both emotionally and financially. <laughs> if you think about it with the fan base and going back to 2015, how he was actually acquired. Um, but I think, you know, I think given the circumstances, I think it's a trade ultimately that both teams will benefit from who wins the trade. You know, who knows? I don't even know how you really quantify who wins trades, but I believe um you know, the players that they got back, the active resources right now and Tuck and Krebs, you know, we'll start with Tuck. I think, um, I think as a whole, I think it was very important. And, and I think they were going to get this type of return, regardless of who they danced with. But it was very important that they got players back that fit into that age bracket of this emerging core that they're looking to de develop currently with guys like Darlene and Middlestat. Dylan Cousins, Yoki Haru, you know, these 24, these guys are like 22 to 24, 25. And look, I mean, they weren't positioned to go out and add a 28, 29 year old established NHL player at this point and where the franchise is at. But I mean, they, they hit the mark there, I think with Tuck um, and Krebs both. Um, I think it was really important from a team chemistry, from a personality standpoint, I think they did well there. When you look at Tuck, you know, very, very fast skater for a big guy finishes a lot of plays off the rush. Um, he's going to be a regular 20 goal scorer in this league, maybe more, you know, I'd like to set the bar a little more easy to achieve for a guy like that. 
I'm pretty confident in saying that he'll be a regular 20 goal guy here, especially with the center depth that the Sabres have amassed um, in that same age bracket. They're all going to grow together. They're all going to experience highs and lows together and hopefully at the end of it become a very tight, cohesive unit for a, a while. That's the plan here. Um, I think he's got a good contract, but I do, you know, when you look at his play on the ice, um, he can play a little bit heavy, but for a bigger guy, he's more of that high speed, high skill, finish off the rush type of player. He's going to fit right in. It's been, you know, beaten to everyone's head ad nauseum how he's, you know, a, a upstate New York native from the Syracuse area, grew up liking the Sabres. We don't need to, I don't think, rehash that here. That's for everyone else to do, but that is a bonus. Okay. Well, let me, I let's think. actually stop right on that point real quick. Um, yeah. How significant do you think it was that he, that the piece, that, that, that the tuck piece of this trade is from, uh, a background that it's easy to sell on joining the Sabres and you're not getting a guy who like Slava Kozlov uh, in the Hashik trade that he shows up and says, I don't want to be here. Or at least with his body language, he could say all the right things, but it's like, yeah. I, I do not want to be a Buffalo Sabre that I do. And, and Kevin Adams kind of admitted it, that it, that was part of the draw, but from at least a PR standpoint of, we need to make sure we get a guy who's going to come here and be, at least excited to be here. And oh, it's I think hard about, to find guys like that. And unless you're getting a guy who grew up rooting for the team. 100%. No, I think it's crucial for the Sabres, for their marketing efforts, for, you know, just the fact that they were moving this big piece, you know, their captain, um, a very highly visible piece. There was a whole fan movement about getting him. I mean, there was a lot, that's an investment that I was referring to earlier. I think it was crucial from a marketing standpoint, from a PR standpoint, but also from a legitimate team building standpoint, Kevin Adams says, I want people that want to be here. We talked about it a while ago. You put your players, when you're reassessing the roster in the offseason, put them in two piles, who's in, who's out. And to get a guy that you know who's in, I think just helps everyone. Um, I think, you know, we'll talk about this when we get to Krebs, but on that piece, I do think it's critical for all the parts of the business that the Sabres are managing um, to get someone that wants to be here. Because the idea is also is that that wanting to be here is going to translate to on-ice performance as well. So you're not just bought in to what it is to be a Buffalo Sabre that Kevin Adams says, but it's also someone that actually has a lot of pride putting that uniform on, knows what it means um, that was instilled in him when he was a little boy. I think that does matter. And that's, you know, you can look at it a couple of ways. Oh, it's hokey. It doesn't mean anything. I think it does mean something because, you know, culturally culture, well, culture is a thing in sports, I believe. Um, and that's a part of that fabric of the culture um, to shift to Krebs. For a little bit, you know, with, with Krebs, it's really interesting. I think that he was the piece that they really needed to get um, in this trade. He was a very high-profile player in his draft year. Probably would have gone a little bit higher than 17th overall, where he ultimately was taken by Vegas, if he didn't have an Achilles injury like a month, month and a half before the draft. He was a legitimate top 10 prospect in his draft class. Um, natural centerman. I think Kevin Adams sees a lot of himself in a player. Uh, that he, That's what he sees in Krebs. Kevin Adams did not take shortcuts as a player. He didn't have the high skill, that impressive skill and hands and speed that Peyton Krebs has. But I think in terms of, again, his moral fabric, his approach to the game, the no shortcuts, um, having a, a three-zone commitment, okay, so playing the full 200 feet of ice and, and playing the right way. Again, I'm using some cliches here, but they exist, or cliches that exist for a reason. Um, Peyton Krebs checks those boxes. The morning of the trade, I put out a tweet. I didn't really you know, offer an in-depth analysis but I just wanted to share a thought. I do believe that Peyton Krebs is captain material for some of these things that I just said. Now, you're not, it's, 
people are saying, well, you're not, can you just play a game first? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he's cut from the cloth of a leader, a natural leader that leads by example, inspires his teammates, that loves his teammates, right? Like it's, I think he's a really um, important piece for this group. Talked about personality of the player that you're introducing to that locker room and that team chemistry. I think he's going to fit like a glove. On ice, when you look at his skill set, high pace, um, very good hands. He's probably going to, you know, ultimately be a player that contributes points at a one to two ratio goals to assists. Okay. I don't want to necessarily put a, a cap on or like a number on what his point totals will be because you're not always going to measure him by his points, but he's going to produce plenty. Um, I've seen him play two games right now in Rochester. Okay. So of course, Tuck, you probably won't see him until the spring. Krebs, you've seen him right now. He's playing for the Rochester Americans. They've been deploying him. Um, it looks like he's probably going to stick with Jack Quinn on that line, who their other winger is right now. They had him with Michael Mersch last game. He's a 28, 29 year old veteran. So probably more of a career age other. Okay. But they're already aligning him with Quinn grow together, get some momentum together on the farm. Um, but uh, what we've seen early is his, his ability to drive the play, his ability to work the boards, do some of that grunt work, get to the net, make plays around the net, pass first. Um, so I think they did really well getting Krebs. I think they did really well getting Tuck. Now we'll see what they do with these picks that they got. You know, these draft classes coming up, the kids these days have so much skill training that the depth of players available in the draft is really it, – it's just different than what it used to be. You're going to get – you're going to fish good players out of the late first and very useful players with your second-round picks as well. So that story – uh, still needs to be written. But overall, I think with the tangible assets, I think they did pretty well here in their return. If you're a Sabres fan and you want to see a little bit more of an immediate uh, feedback regarding this trade, you want the uh, Vegas Golden Knights to do well because uh, it's uh, the only reason things get pushed back is if uh, the Vegas Golden Knights end up with a top 10 pick and then things, uh, then it be whatever. You know, there's too many conditions on it. It's confusing. But uh, the, the, the Golden Knights are a good team. Uh, they're probably going to be in the upper uh, two-thirds of the league, you can probably assume, especially if Jack Eichel comes back and can contribute. Uh, then I think that uh, the, uh, the Buffalo Sabres are going to be able to get their pick in 2022, or at least the first-round pick, and then the second-round pick comes uh, right after that, uh, the following yeah. season. So um, where would you put Krebs in the Sabres hierarchy of – of prospects. If you were to rank some of these guys, where does he fall? You know, he's definitely in the top three. Um, you know, I think uh, I'd have a hard time putting him ahead of Owen Power. And what I've been wrestling with is, you know, the Krebs versus Jack Quinn situation. Right now, though, Jack Quinn is trending in a really, he's trending in a really good direction. It's not just about the goals that he scores. It's about his engagement level off the puck his stick pressure, the way that he uses his body to win battles. Not, and he's not a very big guy. Um, I, I struggle with the Quinn versus Krebs position on that, but those are your top three right there. And there's another group right after them. They're going to keep pressure on those three, even power. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, I do value guys that can play the center position. Um, I think that it's more important, you know, to have that skill set and that commitment and play in the middle and supporting your D and some of those things off the puck. Um, you know, right now, I'm still led to believe that Jack Quinn's goal scoring ability, the natural ability, his knack for getting the spot and receiving pucks from a guy like Krebs probably has the value uh, to keep him at two and Krebs three. But I mean, I, it, you know, I could wake up tomorrow and flip on that. I really could. 
but the, that's a it's a solid group at the top though with those three that i mentioned Ken. yeah that's really encouraging uh, to hear that you would consider putting krebs number two i would and a lot of it is just because of value to the team um value you know the the, the human the character that does matter um it really does you know look you can you can rank prospects by just looking at stats and moving guys up and down based on their point totals versus the level that they're playing at. That's, that's kind of not how I elect to do it. I, I look at, you know, just kind of overall value to the team. Um, and I think both Quinn, who was probably not given fair due by Sabres fans early on, but I think there's a lot of people that have the smelling salts now that he has seven goals in his first nine games this year. Right. Um, I think they're seeing the light on why the Sabres made that investment in Quinn, but Krebs is the real deal. Um, I, I believe that it's very easy when you watch these first two AHL games, especially it's very easy to see him going up and down the middle of the ice at the NHL level for a long time. That, that right there puts him in the hunt for that two spot to me. I don't want to, uh, make parallels where there aren't any. So I'm just going to throw these out as examples <laughs> of trades and what they did for a team's identity, because this is an identity shifting trade. The fact that Jack Eichel is no longer on the team, regardless of what comes back. Um, but there are different ways to get somebody off your team and have, have a mark be made. You know, it, you can have the Hashik trade, which I referenced earlier for yeah. Slava Kozlov and whatever else. I, I can't even remember if there was a second part of that, uh, in, in which you're giving away uh, the best player on your team. Uh, then there's the, say, the Michael Pekka trade, where you get, Taylor Pyatt and Tim Connolly back two totally different players, but young players coming up and, you know, so, and there's probably other trades too that, that I could maybe, um, you know, mention Ryan O'Reilly trade, the right, right. Okay. So where, what is your take on the fact that Jack Eichel is now no longer on this team? This trade has now been made. It wasn't at least at this, uh, at this, at, on the surface, it doesn't seem like a fleece job. It doesn't seem like, you know, a great, one of the great Darcy Regeer trades either, you know, where they unload Chris Gratton for Daniel Briere. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we're, and, and I'm, so I'm not to asking you to judge the trade. Mm -hmm. Just what's your, what's your feel as I'm making a lot of hand gestures here, trying to make my point, articulate it. And I think the COVID fog is still getting me. But what I'm, I'm trying to, what I'm trying to ask is, what's just your take on this team? as it stands now after this big monumental trade? I'm going I'm to start, and I'm using hand gestures too. The hand gestures, by the way, probably not the COVID fog. It's probably because I've been doing it for the 15 minutes that we've been talking. <laughs> okay, and I try to keep them out of camera, but I just, I can't. I guess tough crap, right? But um, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. I do believe it's a deal that both teams um, are going to benefit from. I think it's very important also to call out that the style of the players that they got in return, the Sabres did from Vegas fit right into this system that Don Granado, this up-tempo play fast, quick passes, short passes, matriculate the puck up ice quickly, right? Both of those guys fit into that very nicely. Um, that should not be overlooked either. And that's most teams want to play that way now, but it's in stark contrast that style is to the style that they played under Ralph Kruger. That's why it's worth mentioning. Um, this, some of those trades that you mentioned may have been, you know, I'll give you uh, four bites of a cheeseburger for filet mignon. That's not this. Okay. This trade is not that rather, you know, um, I, I think that both teams, I, I, and again, we, we need to see what the Sabres do with those draft pick assets, that draft capital 
Um, and that I tried using my hands there, but I'm like holding them down now. But um, I think that that's, I think it's a good trade right now. I see no, given the fact that the Sabres were unwilling to retain salary, I think they did very well given the circumstances of how their, their position, the position they took on the player and what they needed to do. Um, I go back and again, I mean, I'm not trying to oversell the fact that these are two really good guys that seemingly want to be in Buffalo. That is critical in Buffalo. So more needs, I mean, we, we need to see Tuck. It's all, we're all just speaking about it. We need to see and evaluate the play and how he assimilates himself once he hits the ice. But what we know about that player, and he was another player, by the way, that I really liked in his draft class um, for a lot of the things that we still like him for today. It's, I know you're not asking me to evaluate the trade, but I do think it's one where I think it was a good hockey trade. Yeah, I guess to ask that question the way I intend it, you have to evaluate it a little bit. Like you have yeah. to at least yeah. get to a place where you can accept that they didn't give Jack Eichel away. Um, now everything has to hit, you know, for a winner or a loser of the trade. But I guess just moving forward, even if you take the, the tack of, all right, Jack Eichel's gone. Now time to move on. Let's forget that even happened. Tim, every good trade. How, how has does to... this trade reset the organization if it does? Oh, I mean, they're loaded from a prospect standpoint. And then that, that age bracket that I referred to earlier, that 24 and under, they're loaded there. And we can get into some of those other guys to kind of quantify why they're loaded, why I say that. But on that trade, the one thing I will say is that I think any good trade has to hurt a little, right? We know Buffalo got hurt by losing Jack Eichel. I have a feeling that Vegas, it hurt. Any fair trade. Up. Any fair trade. I think. Any fair trade. Correct. Yes, that's right. That's has to right. hurt a little. Well, sorry, now you know that I have business integrity because I basically am saying that all trades are fair, okay? But I, I think that giving up Peyton Krebs and to a certain extent Alex Tuck, okay? But Krebs, given where Vegas is in their center depth, it was lacking severely and they couldn't just throw Krebs in there right away as a 20-year-old. I think it hurt them to give up Krebs. I really do. That right there is kind of the, a little bit of the backdrop for also why I think it was a good trade for both sides presently. Now the story needs to be written still, right? But um, how it resets them, I mean, this is, this is a youth movement for the Sabres. Um, Kevin Adams, everything he's done, whether it's the, the Reinhardt trade, getting a first and a goaltending prospect to build up the depth there. Um, how he handled Ristolainen, getting a first round pick that turned into Isaac Rosine for Ristolainen. They're amassing some serious talent across the lineup, and it's different types of players. Um, Kevin Adams didn't draft Matias Samuelson, but that's a stay-at-home, a territorial defenseman who's going to be an NHLer for a long time. You need that type of player as well. They've drafted different types of skill sets for different roles in the lineup. Prokhor Poltepov, who was drafted 33rd overall last draft, first pick of the second round, he's probably a guy – who he could play with your skill players, but more likely is going to be a really firm, solid player, maybe on your third line, but that's useful. You need to have four lines, roll them out. And on any given night, any line can be your number one line. Sabres have positioned themselves to be able to do that. It's going to be, if things come together, the way that you can see, we haven't even talked about Paterka yet, but if things come together, they're going to be, it's going to be tough for some coaches to match up properly if, but it's going to be a while, you know, we're talking maybe two years, three years before you see the fruits of these efforts. What about goaltending, Chris? 
I know that's your uh, sweet spot. I know that you really like to get in uh, into the, the goaltending situation and as far down into the depth chart as you can get. Uh, what's, uh, what's your general take? You know, I think goaltending depth is still important. You always want to create competition. Um, you can only play one on any given night and put two, maybe three on your roster, but you want to have many. You got to create that internal competition, have guys pushing each other. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, it's, it's really for me when I look at the Sabres and where they're going moving forward, it's not about Craig Anderson. It's not about Dustin Tokarski. It's not about Aaron Dell. It's about Uka Puck and Lukanen. It's about Eric Portillo. It's about Devin Levi. And then whoever else they can keep drafting or acquiring via trade. Um, when this Eichel saga started and the Rangers kept popping up, I know it's a pipe dream, okay? But I was like, you got to get a goalie back. You got to get, and I was like all about Shesterkin, where it's like, of course, the Rangers would have been absolutely nuts to trade Shesterkin, but he's that 24, 25-year-old guy. He's in that core age group, right? And he's a legitimate guy. So I think when you like look at you what the say, have, it's got to hurt. You want Jack Eichel, it's got to hurt. That's right. No, that's right. And and I think um, goaltending is still very important to me. Um, you know, Lukanen had a little bit of an uneven statistical start in Rochester this year. I think through his first four or five starts, his goals against ballooned over six. His save percentage was about 85. Those are not good numbers. When you watch the games, there, there was some shared accountability there with the defenseman in front of him. Too many guys were getting behind the D and getting uncontested looks on Lukanen. Now you got to he has to be accountable where you need some saves to be made in some of those situations, but it's not all on him is what I'm saying. And I just referenced Matias Samuelson. Samuelson came back. He's played two games. I ran the numbers last night. Lucan and all of a sudden has a one, five, one goals against and a save percentage is like 96, 96% in the two games that Samuelson's been back is because he can kind of steady the defensive front in front of the goalie. It, it's, it's amazing. Jay, Lukanen didn't light the world on fire statistically last year in Rochester. He came up and did a pretty decent job when he got to the NHL because goalies have an, they can do their job when you have really high level of competency in front of you. Eric Portillo at Michigan, he's won nine of 11 starts. Um, big kid, very similar stylistically to Lukanen. Lukanen just has maybe a little more polish to his game at this part of his career, but um Promising prospect at Michigan on that loaded team. Um, he's a sophomore. This is his first year having the net. I think that he is a legitimate prospect to play in the NHL, whether he's a bona fide one or kind of that one, two kind of, you know, he can kind of share the load there. That remains to be seen. Let's get him in Rochester and just kind of, you know, go stage to stage with his development. And then Devin Levi is the one that's getting a lot of um, love from fans just because, you know, early on in the season, he posted four shutouts, I think in his first seven starts. Two of them were against, you know, maybe lower level competition. That's worth noting, you know, Bentley and Holy Cross are not Boston College and, you know, whoever, BU, but, um, or Michigan for that matter. But, you know, stopping pucks is stopping pucks and D1 hockey is still a high level. Um, but he's a smaller goalie, six foot. Okay. So where you have Lucan in at six, four, and you have Portillo six, five, six, six, you have this six foot guy. I personally have a, um, an affinity for goalies that are six, one and six, two. I think sometimes when a goalie gets too big, they have bigger holes. Um, but I do believe that, you know, I like those athletic six, one, six, two goalies. He's not too far off. Levi is at six foot, but he's fast, holds his edges really well. He's a superior skater in that his feet, keep him in the plays, get some square to the pucks and square to the shooter. Um, we'll see, you know, I want to get him into Rochester too. Maybe in, in you know, I don't think it's gonna be next season, maybe two years from now, but just a promising prospect. Um, 
the one thing I'll say about smaller goalies, because I think, you know, a lot of people want a broad stroke goalies based on their height and size. I, I look at leg length, arm length, um, you know, you can have a guy that's six, four and that's great. But if he's all torso, it doesn't matter as much. And um, I always say that like, you know, some of the more underappreciated goalies in the last decade, one that I always look at is Yaroslav Halak. He's barely six foot tall. And I think he's very, you know, why can't Devin Levi be in that same bucket as a guy like Halak and have a very long NHL career? He might. Okay. So I just want to throw that out there as well, but I think they did a good job addressing the need in that Reinhardt trade by getting Devin Levi in the fold. Even though he was a seventh rounder, it doesn't matter. Um, he can play, and we'll see where his game takes him moving forward. But he's off to a good start in college this year. Your Twitter handle is at Sabres Prospects, but let's bend that a little bit, if you'll allow it. Or maybe we can have a discussion uh, uh, on that uh, particular aspect of, of, of the question that I'm about to ask. There's a 21-year-old who's on the Sabres roster right now, but he's played 209 NHL games. I don't know if Rasmus Dahlin is still a prospect or not, um, but when it comes to development, I wanted to get your thoughts as to what you're seeing from Rasmus Dahlin out there through 12 games this season. I, I think that we've seen the Rasmus Dahlin that we've seen for many years, to be honest with you very strong one way and still needs to keep working on his game and up in his competency the other way. And the other way is defensively. Um, much has been made about the one-on-one -on -one defensive shortcomings that he might have against some of these fast, high-skilled forwards, the best forwards in the world coming at him and losing out on those battles. And that's a legitimate question. Um, but I mean, you know, this is still, he's, he's really good going that other way. I mean, more points before what the age of 20 than Bobby Orr, I think it was, I forget the stat is, um, you know, this is what the Sabres knew they were getting. This is what I believe the fans knew they were getting in terms of um, a guy that still had to kind of work on things defensively. Eric Carlson had to work on things too, when he was a kid, you know, younger guy, young man, I can't call Darlene a kid anymore. He's not a prospect anymore, by the way. Once you, once you pass like 70 games, I'm done with you. But um, <laughs> I think, um, you know, you go back to the Olympics when he played in his draft year when he was 17 years old. He was benched in the Olympics for some of the things that he's being criticized for right now. This is not a new issue. And yeah, I think that that's where the frustration comes from Sabres fans, especially when you were able to rationalize, okay, we didn't get Connor McDavid. We got Jack Eichel. And then we were able to slap on a Rasmus Dahlin right on top of that. And now look out. Now, now that's going to at least be okay. And that helps justify all the misery that we've gone through. And now Eichel's off the team. And now Dahlin isn't, you know, now he's in his, what, third NHL season. Yeah. He's uh, 21. He'll be 22 in a couple of months. Or no, actually, he doesn't turn 22 for a few more months. Yeah. But anyways, here he is, a young guy. And I'm sure that, you know, that the, mixed, uh, the mixed signals or, or the mixed emotions regarding Darlene or out there. Yes, he's still young, but we've seen a lot of him and, you know, we see him every night and, and we sweat out every shift. Uh, we live and die with every shift of, of a, a hand, a handful of players. I don't think people sweat out every shift of Kyle Ocposo, but of Darlene, they do. Yeah, they do. And, and look, I think, I mean, the, the, the criticisms are legitimate. I'm not saying that. 
I'm also saying he's one and, and, you know, unfair to him maybe is that he's always going to have that spotlight on him because he was first overall draft pick. I mean, that's not just in Buffalo. The whole hockey sphere is going to be watching him and placing expectations on him by virtue of where he was drafted. But, you know, I, I think that you, you can't be emotional and say, we got to trade Darlene if you're a Sabres fan without saying what you're trading him for. Right. Right. What are you trading him for? Um, but no, I mean, I mean, look, it's, it's concerning to fans and I get why um, I believe he'll improve and he'll get better. He seems to be putting the work in. I think that's all you can ask for right now. You're not going to magically become a shutdown defender overnight. Um, I think that quality of teammates matters. Having centermen that come down and help you matter. I'm not that maybe not in the one-on-ones that we we're talking about earlier, but I think, you know, I think, Losing Yoki Haru in that defensive core only put more pressure on Dalian early in the season. Um, it's just a tough situation for him to manage through right now, but I'm pretty confident, you know, he'll manage through. I mean, this is a young kid. He went, you know, moved away from home as at a young age and kind of put it together and had to adjust and fight through some things very early in his hockey career that I, I'm confident that he'll put it together. Um, that doesn't help Sabres fans now. I understand that, but I mean, I think we're, we always put too much emphasis on the extreme fan volume or fan voices. Um, and I think there's a lot of that here. There's, there's always people that are never going to be happy with anything. And sometimes I feel like that with Darlene right now, where I think we just kind of got to chill a little bit. He's a very gifted hockey player, focus on the good things while he's working through some of the shortcomings. And that's kind of, I'll just leave it at that. I think with Darlene. Do you think with Eichel no longer on the roster, it'll, it'll, it'll allow fans to chill, like you just, to, to use the word you just uh, mentioned, because they're not supposed to go to the play. I mean, it, all right, we don't have to get aggravated that it's not happening. Um, I'm speaking not from myself in the media, but I'm talking about as a fan. Like, can we just sit back and watch some hockey now? Do we have to? And of course, it's going to be tough with a guy like Darlene because he is the number one overall draft pick and, and you want to see more. But do you think that this team has the, the makeup to at least give the fans uh, the, the ability just to watch hockey and not have to worry about, all right, it's not happening. Is it going to happen? You know it's not going to happen this year. And yes, they got off to a really good start. They're now 5-5-2. Five, five and two. 15% of the season's already been played, which it's always amazing to me with hockey, how quick it goes. Um, but um, so I don't know which team's going to show up, but it, it, I don't know. it seems as though it's capable of being a team that can compete. And at least through the doldrums of Buffalo winter in January and February, if the bills don't make it that far and into March, that hopefully it's a team that you can at least sit back and enjoy a hockey game and not have to be, pissed off uh that they're not defending their their second consecutive stanley cup yeah i think that that fan enjoyment level for watching the sabers will only increase when kids like quinn and paterka are up here i like no no i like that emo uh, that emo oh, uh you like this i know oh, it's beautiful okay because i'm gonna keep it then some starburst energy going off your television it's like a glamour shot i like but yeah it. okay like uh napoleon dynamite's girlfriend is like 
taking a picture right. of me right now. I want I something like, okay, I got to shut it, dude. <laughs> no, but I think that the fan enjoyment, Tim, will um, improve. And, it, you know, I think they'll have a better product when some of these young kids that they, they, they keep hearing about from guys like me and others um, hit the ice because these are kids that are hungry and it's just going to lead to a better product. It's going to lead to faster play, more excitement. Um, and that's what you hope for. I think the Sabres right now are two different teams at home versus on the road where they can control the matchups a little bit more with that last change. That does matter in terms of the tactics of managing the game. And Granado has proven to be very efficient with those matchups. Um, but I think, you know, it's a Paterka, Quinn, getting those guys up here, getting them looks. I think dropping that into this developing equation that the Sabres are looking to build right now, I think that's, that's going to be a big component to fan enjoyment, I do. Um, their style is nice. I mean, we saw it at the tail end of last year with Granado. And last time I was on with you, Tim, we were debating, is he the guy? Do you give him the job? Well, you were looking at how the team played. How the team played at the tail in the last year is how they're playing right now. Maybe they're not having as much success putting the puck in the net lately, but um, that's kind of where I'm at. I think is, you know, it's all, we said it's a youth movement. And now as they can start introducing more youth, Krebs, Quinn, Paterka, Samuelson, you know, maybe you give a guy like Ascari Loxon in a look at some point. Um, I think that's going to keep fan interest because I think the fans understand where exactly this team is at right now. Um, you can't, rely on Craig Anderson standing on his head at 40 years old every night and winning you games. You know, Cage Thompson's development is a storyline that I think fans are attaching themselves to. Rasmus Asplund's development is a storyline that fans are also attaching. There's things here that I think are going to get fan interest. To, to answer your question, Tim, long-windedly, which I'm, I often do, I think it's there's plenty of things here to get some fan engagement going to keep them watching a hockey game. I do. And it's as simple. I mean, maybe it's this is too simplistic, but they are at least middle of the pack in the NHL right now in scoring goals. And that's something that was just so painful last season when Ralph Kruger was the coach. And there were times also, even after Kruger was let go, um, where the goals just weren't there. But at least they're making things somewhat entertaining. You know, they're at least, it, it's at least borderline interesting you know at the very least so even during this uh, streak of five straight losses you know they're still scoring goals and maybe they're you know again i don't know devil's advocate is there like a is there an addition by subtraction thing going on with you know like losing ristaline in and things like that too where fans are just reset their expectations and maybe they're enjoying hockey while they're looking for the next person to Reinhardt. <laughs> they don't have the people who have the black right. hole of energy that just takes like the, the guy you hate, the guy you love to hate. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there, there could be some of that going on. I mean, that's more fans, you know, um, psychological activity analysis of fans, right? Fan base. But um, no, I think there is some of that going on here too. My, my fear is that Darlene is going to become the new risk of the line, you know? where they just put the focus on him. And that, that's going to be deleterious, I think, to the relationship of the fans and the franchise and the player and the franchise if that, if that happens. But um, no, I, I think, you know, if Don Granado's um, vision for this team comes to fruition, they're going to be an entertaining team to watch. Some goals will go in. Um, for them to be 500, basically, right now, right? I think that's what you said, Tim. I mean, middle of the pack in terms of goals, and I think their record is right around 500. To me, they're overachieving based on the roster construction. I mean, they couldn't sign any more guys for 700K than they did in July or whatever it was. And, you know, I think they're overachieving. It goes to that power of the group. 
and you know um maybe the underdog maybe like a little major league effect the cleveland indians for major league effect you know no one's given us a chance let's just come together and make it happen i don't know it's very early but hockey cliche suggests that you you look at where you're at after american thanksgiving you know let's just say december one okay so let's give it a few more weeks see where they're at and have another follow-up conversation about the the second half of the season and where this team's going to be they're likely going to be picking high in the draft again they have three picks um so Sabres fans will be excited about that because they do like shiny new toys and draft picks also. Five, five, and two heading into the weekend. Better than I thought they would have been. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, better than everybody thought. Yep. Um, Chris Baker. Now, Bill Plasky was saying, by the way, on around the horn, Plasky was like, oh, they're going to make the playoffs. They're going to make the playoffs. So, like, well, all right, settle down. Yeah. yeah. Well, a guy in L.A., you know, talking about the Sabres, you know, I don't know. Just not, uh, not, not what I expect, you know, well, not, or not, we, uh, you know, not, not the expert that I would be like, you know what, let's check and see what uh, Bill Plaschke's got to say about the Sabres. But at least we have the worldwide leader talking about the NHL. That's true. That's true. Although it, it is, does seem like they're going through some growing pains with that in terms uh, of, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. let's see what, uh, you know, let's see what we remember. Let, let, they have a lot of, uh, people on their staff who have to, uh, whose hockey muscles have atrophied over the years. Quite a few. Yeah, quite a few. And some of it's forced, you know, so they'll get there. They'll get there like anything new. It's like, it's like teaching a kid how to swim, you know, they might drown. They might need the floaties, but they'll get there. Eventually they'll shed the floaties. (laughs) The last one, one time I dropped my buddy off at his house and uh, one of his kids left the bike out and we're, we're, uh, shooting the shit, you know, I'm, I'm dropping him off and we're still talking. And so, you know, I'm out of my car and I'm like, I'm just going to grab this bike and ride it around the block real quick, just for fun. And, um, it didn't go well. Uh, they say you don't, for, you never forget how to ride a bike. And that's true. I remembered how to ride it. Um, my, uh, the brain that uh, thought I was uh, 14 years old again, didn't, uh, didn't recalibrate to the body, uh, that was, that was pedaling. You're out there trying to do bunny hops and the, the center bar came and caught you in the nuts. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, I was out of gas. <laughs> I was, uh, I was heaving for the rest of the day. Uh, Chris, thanks for doing this. Everybody should follow Chris Baker at Sabres prospects on Twitter for deep thoughts on guys that you forgot were even on the roster or didn't even know in the first place. Sabres guys who were, you know, seventh round pick four years ago playing in Czechoslovakia. Sorry, Czech Republic or wherever over in Russia or tier six, Sweden, whatever the Victor hell else Olsen, you're Victor Olofsson, Tim, who the Sabres have sorely missed in the past few games was once a seventh round pick. They're so fun. Maybe I'm talking. Maybe I'm talking about the next Victor Olson. I'm not sure. But, yes, follow me. Follow Chris Baker at Sabres Prospects. Nobody watching this doesn't follow you already. There's a few people that have gotten sick of me, you know. But uh, You're not ubiquitous. You you pick your spots. You are not – it's not as though you've been doing the media rounds for the last couple of weeks. There was a major trade involving prospects and you're judicious. That I am. 
that I am. I'm, I'm, I'm managing my time better than I historically have. Well, get back to work. You got your golf on back there. You can turn or you can pivot your, in your chair, pretend like you're working and watch golf. And uh, I, I can, I'm, I'm sure you have no bets on this tournament, whatever the hell. No, is. no, I'm not. I'm not at all looking forward to Taylor Gooch teeing off here. Not, what, not for no, for no reason. What is yeah. this tournament and what continent is it being played on? This is the uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise Houston Open at Memorial Park. It's a Muni golf course, plays about 7,400 yards, tough Bermuda grass, gnarly conditions around the green, long hitters that are accurate off the tee should do well here. Are the real, are the legitimate golfers still competing at this time or are they packed it in for, I mean, who, who's in this? Um, a bunch of guys that you probably don't really follow much, but like, you know, your big guns. So you're, you're Justin Thomas is not here. Rory's not here. DJ's not here. Hideki's not here. Um, you know, the leaderboard, you know, you were looking at guys like Mark Leishman, Russell Henley, um, you know, who I, who I like this week. I liked Henley coming into this week. I like Taylor Gooch, who I mentioned already. He's a Gooch, the Gooch Oklahoma state product, baby. But, um, you know, so I think, you know, you do get guys, this is their second to last tournament in the, the fall run before they kind of shut it down next week is the RSM. And then they'll be, you know, they'll be off for a little bit until they go to Hawaii in January. But um, no, it's, it's not the star studded, you know, this isn't a master's field by any means, but it's still pretty highly competed. Some good young, kind of what we're talking about the Sabres, young guys that are emerging. That's what you have golf's version of that in this tournament this week. You're a degenerate. Yeah. Oh, when it comes to the golf. Dude, guilty. I mean, just without the golf. I mean, the Sabres, it's a passion. Well, it, it's a passion too, but there's the, you know, if not for the gambling aspect of it, I wonder how big of a golf fan you'd be. It's a good question. We'll get into that <laughs> next time. We'll, we'll maybe, uh, we'll try to get to the bottom of that. We'll examine that this. Good, yeah, I'm, I'm down for a little, uh, I'm down for that analysis because that's, that's a good question. Bills at Jets this weekend, New Jersey, New Jersey is a fine, fine uh, mobile gambling state uh, that I will be spending my time in. I will not be going to New York uh, City. I will be staying out at uh, the Newark Airport at the Marriott there, which I love. It's a great hotel. Sounds awful. Yeah, but it's a great hotel, multiple restaurants, and it's in New Jersey. So I'll be enjoying some college football. If you want me to, uh, maybe I'll tap into your, uh, your dimpled noggin and, and get, some, uh, sit, get some golf tips for when I'm sitting there uh, staring at a TV on Saturday. Dude, the live betting on golf is insane. Um, yeah, so we should definitely connect on that. But the Bills game, by the way, hey, I, I'm always nervous about the Jets. I know we're not going to you know, do a, a deep dive here today but i think that line what what was the line was it, it like was, 13 well it was 14 i don't or maybe okay. it was 13 and a half let me double check it for your for your uh, benefit yeah i'm just kind of curious i mean i wonder if uh, magic mike being under center for the jets what that did to the line i think it was like 13 and a half last i looked it um, is was, uh, now down to 12 or 11 and a half in, in, uh, uh, in, in one particular book at uh, Circa. Uh, okay. It is 11 and a half, 12 and a half in some places, but uh, it opened at 13 and a half. It's now being bet down. 
Mike White. No, they don't. The, the people are putting money on the Jets. Right, right. I think that um, I think the quarterback news yesterday had a, a pretty big impact on that line. Um, we'll see what happens on Sunday morning, but man, I don't know. I like that Mike White kid. I like the story. I like the whole deal with it, you know, but I'm, I'm still, I'm, we, I mean, we saw the game last night with the Ravens and the Dolphins. I mean, it is a week to week league. It's another cliche that we're throwing out this morning on this lovely Sunday Friday, but it's so true. And that, that alone, that tenant alone has me nervous again, because look at the history of between these two teams the past couple of times, the Jets just kind of show up and play. 47 and a half is the total, which seems a little high to me. I think uh, I think you could see, you know, unless the, unless the Bills totally wake up and Dawson Knox coming back will make a big difference. Yeah, we're going to talk about that a little later in the show with uh, Joel Staniszewski, of course. But uh, well, yeah, hopefully Dawson Knox, he, there was no security blanket for Josh Allen last week. He just got the shit kicked yeah. out of him. And yes, he did have an awful game and a lot of people are picking apart his game and his decision making. But he was. He was running for his life. He had been hit hard. As a quarterback, even when they're not near you, you still feel it. Um, he had, you know, it was just the, the offensive line was that bad. It's a chain reaction. And uh, so Josh Allen, in turn, had one of the worst games of his NFL career. And as I wrote, it wasn't Josh Allen's fault. It was the fact that the offensive line was terrible and he didn't have his security blankets and his, off, and his, and his uh, running backs can't help him. So anyway. Yeah. It's tough, but hey, hopefully uh, that serves as a nice little segue into your segment with Joel, who is awesome every time he's on with you. Chris Baker, thanks for doing this. I know uh, you got uh, things to do with work and uh, <coughs> watch golf, and I appreciate you giving me your time. Anytime, man. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. The sounds of the end of everything and force-fed lies means the lead singer of that group is now joining us, Joel Staniszewski, to talk some sports bets. Joel yep. Staniszewski, he's on the line from Vegas, uh, as he usually is, uh, to give us his thoughts on the Bills from a betting perspective. Uh, Joel Staniszewski, i just like to remind everybody, he's from Sloan, he's from St. Joe's, he's from Buff State. But he's been out in Vegas for a long time as a handicapper, as an industry analyst, as an odds maker. And, um, and Joel, it was such a raggedy ass season that because of the bye week and then uh, some scheduling for me because I was traveling and then I get COVID, you have not been on the show for a couple of weeks. So I think we're just going to go ahead and hit the reset button. Uh, I, okay are you that. okay with that? Yeah, I had a, I went and, and maybe people will listen at home, uh, will kind of keep track themselves. I had a week, whatever it was, three weeks ago that goes down in history. Oh, and seven. You pick, se you could throw a dartboard, you could put your, <laughs> right? take the, the printouts from a sports book. And well, I think put you it had a push. Board. I think you had a push in there, Joel. Maybe there was a push. That's right. Uh, it's possible. But, it was like, it was to the point where I was like, how, that, how does that even happen? Like there was once a time, this was way back when I had first moved to Vegas and I was working at the sports book in the Paris and you could walk out the side door of the Paris and walk right into the Barbary coast, which is now called, it was called Barbary coast. Then it was called bills. Now it's called, um, who cares what it's called? It's a shithole. 
but uh, you could walk right in out the side is door. Is still there? It. The restaurant Dre's? Yeah, yeah, it, it's still there. Yeah, it's called like um, I don't remember what it's called. I I feel having COVID has honestly affected my memory. Like People I cannot can see remember it stuff. in their minds as I can. Yeah, I can taste the dish rag uh, beer because they didn't clean their uh, uh, lines ever. You'd get Ugh. the free bit, you know, you'd go and place a bet and, uh, you know, you get the take a draft and be like, nah, I think I'm gonna have a bottle because that last one tastes like you just rang out a dish rag in my mouth. <laughs> so I went and I was doing that. I would go there on my breaks or at, before work or after work, put on a little bit of money or whatever. There was a time, this is probably 2005, I went 14 straight bets without winning. 14. And I thought, this is Im like impossible. Like, how does this happen? I'm hitting bad beat after bad beat. I'm getting blown out. I'm just picking the wrong sides. It's just like, if I played under, they scored three touchdowns within a minute. I play up, if I play over, there's no scoring in the first half. It's just like, I couldn't pick the right side to save my life. And I just kept going and kept going. And I remember the game that I couldn't remember exactly the game, but it was Steelers and Bengals. And it was, I betted over. And the game was just a shootout and it went to overtime. So I, that was like a guaranteed, like, can't lose. And then I won on like the Montreal Canadians. Like it was like, I just kept playing and eventually got out of the funk. And that's what happens. You get in the funk. So I know we weren't keeping track and I didn't even submit anything to you, but when Owen seven took the next week off because of the bye week. And I was like, I'm not even going to look at football because I hate it right now. Um, next week I went five and one. I even bet. There's a prop up that will there be a safety? And so I was looking up some stats and I was like, man, we have hardly no safeties this year. So I bet no. And I was talking about it with somebody at work and they're like, no, your numbers are wrong. There's way more safeties. You probably bet the wrong side of this bet, but luckily there wasn't any. So I even lucked into a bet that way. So, and then uh, the bills played the Jags and the number came out in my opinion, high. But if a number is off, if a line is off two or three points, and we're talking about a five-point spread, that's a huge percentage off. Right. But if we're talking about two or three points off on a 15-point spread, it's a much smaller percentage. So I knew, I thought the line was high on the Jags. It was at 15. I thought it should have been more like 12 and a half to get that 13 money. Um, but at that point in time, it's such a 12 and a half, 13, 14 to 15 is not that big of a jump um, when you're talking about a, a really big spread. But I didn't bet the game, uh, thankfully. Um, but then I ended up losing on something else. And then I got then I did the thing that you're not supposed to do and bet when you're angry. And I did. And I bet a bunch on the Golden Knights who won. And then I bet a bunch on like the Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota Wild hockey it was both hockey games and that one hit too and i was like okay good now i'm up from all the money i've lost but i'm gonna take some time off but that, that only lasted a couple of days now we're back in it well now let me ask you this joel this uh, when you are in a slump like that and confidence is shaken because in sports betting it's a little bit different i mean and there are ways that you can get aggressive or go you know um you know on on uh, uh, bets that have long odds but the traditional sports bet is you pr 
pretty much have a 50-50 chance of winning the bet, right? I mean, that's the way it's kind of set up. You're going to either pick the over, the under, uh, whichever side. There are only two teams on the field, theoretically, and you're getting points. So that's the handicapping aspect of it. Um, right. Unlike, in, for instance, back when I used to play a lot of poker and you lose your confidence at the poker table, you can go in the tank and make a lot of bad decisions uh, because there are so many variables, um, right. so many people in a given hand, or maybe you're going heads up, whatever. But in sports betting, like I was saying, the traditional aspect of it, you still are, you have roughly a 50-50 chance of winning that bet. So can shaken, how can shaken confidence impact you as a sports better? I think it, it, it shake. Well, I have a, a personal thing where if I bet on a team like twice and they are both, both games are like covering and then they somehow end up losing like backdoor covers or just fall apart. Like to me, they're dead. So like, to me, the Carolina Panthers are dead. I will not play them again this year. I don't care how far the number's off. And that's probably a bad thing because you shouldn't be carrying this animosity towards a team that, you know, they're not, they didn't lose the, didn't not cover on purpose. Yeah. Isn't the that same like for a, the Bears. you're going to refuse to to bet uh, even at the roulette table uh, because it right. burns you too many times. <laughs> right. Yeah. So of course, of course, that's a bad idea. But um, if a number is off that far, I'll still probably play it. But for a little bit, I'm I'm still bummed at the Panthers and the Bears. But well, you can get away with it because there are there are 30 other teams, or I guess 31 other teams, and how up 15 other games that you can bet on. Of course, of course. So you kind of just stick with your game plan, and and maybe you kind of look a little bit harder. So if you think if you've been playing games that you assume are like two points off, well, then maybe you go to like three. Like, okay, I'm not going to play this game. It's only off a point and a half or two, in my opinion. Then I'm going to put that one on the back burner and, and not play it. You would tighten yeah, it you up. Just tighten Which is up. A, yeah. Same as a poker, you know, like, hey, man, I, I'm taking some not, I'm getting some speed knots here uh, to make sure that I don't do anything stupid. I'm going to get extra conservative. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a conservative thing. You, you still keep betting because the last thing you want to do is go on a hot streak. And you're like, well, I was betting 110 a game, but now I'm only betting $33 a game, but I just won eight out of the last 10 bets, but I'm still down. Like you want to still be consistent. Um, just pick and choose your spots a little bit better. And that could be a number of things that could be the, the way you, you look at power rankings or the way you give weight to certain teams or certain players or certain weather or certain travel time, you kind of need to just kind of reevaluate because everything kind of changes. You know, the game changes. The amount of penalties called by a certain group of referees is very important to a, an outcome of a game. Um, so you kind of take all that kind of stuff into – you kind of look – you think you take a secondary look at it. Like, okay, I've been – Maybe I've been a little too quick to be like, yep, that's a good line. Take it. That's a good line. Take it. You know, maybe you kind of take your time and, and think about it a little bit more. Well, here we are at the uh, tail end of what I was calling the Bills uh, midseason exhibition run, uh, which should have been three easy games against uh, Miami at home at Jacksonville, of course, last week, which is, was a loss. And now at the New York Jets. Um, and uh, the Miami game was even rough. The Bills had to – it was a backdoor cover, um, 
they mm-hmm. probably could have knelt out the clock or just ran it, you know, ran the ball into the into the middle of the line a few times. They they had that game comfortably won, but they decide to flex and and go for the touchdown. They were looking for that swag. Yeah. They were they'd had such a rough first half. They felt the need to to as uh, Deion Dawkins says, get their piss hot and and hopefully uh, flow it into uh, Jacksonville, which didn't happen. So how yeah, do you definitely read, didn't happen. How do you read the Bills here as they are a minus twelve or minus thirteen, depending on uh, the book right now? Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, talking with Chris Baker uh, earlier today uh, during our segment talking about the Sabers, and we were looking at the number, and it was uh, minus eleven and a half at one book. Um, but how do you read these bills um, and their inability to score and uh, and giving almost uh, two touchdowns? Yeah, you know what? What did Josh Allen say a couple of weeks ago? Some people get figured out, and some people figure it out. And the Bills have been having really tough time with like what I don't. I'm I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know the specific lingo and coaching strategies, but like too high safeties and he's getting too much pressure. The offensive line isn't performing. And I mean, when you have injuries on the offensive line, doesn't have any time. So he doesn't have enough time. They got two high safeties. So he's not going deep with his passes. He's been we without Dawson Knox. So that means we that's one of those safe, you know, security blanket type targets yeah. that he can dump the ball to. And his, so and his running backs have been unproductive too. Yeah. So you don't have that. You don't have the time to throw open you don't have your security blanket you don't have a running game so you have to try to figure it out so um in in my opinion again i think the line is a little high it's come down from when it opened a bit um but again i think the line being off is a small enough percentage that you can go with the bills and feel comfortable minus the uh 12 and do you think what well what's your what's your experience tell you regarding uh, how that line may or how the uh, spread may change uh, between now and kickoff? I don't think it'll go much lower. Um, and at that point, I mean the 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 thing that I when I got into the book was two is a dead number in the NFL two twelve. Now, granted, now we're dealing with a different time with two-point conversions more relevant. And, um, you know, so that number is more of a live number. But 11 and a half to 12 isn't a big enough number to, to think that you need to, be, you need to wait or buy a half a point or, or anything like that. So I think this is the kind of game where, like the guy from Jacksonville was saying, like looking over the sideline, they just look like they didn't care. Like, and maybe that's the kicking the ass they needed like you got embarrassed by the worst team one of the worst teams in football and the Jets have been also playing poorly but they've been playing better recently but I think also when you look at uh, Mike White it's it's one of those like um, oh he did really well in a game or two he must be great and the Bills have been burned by that a million times with uh, Rob Johnson and Brian Brom and you know you right. think, oh this guy did 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 well in a game EJ or two. Manuel against Carolina the one year right and you know you and can so you pick, think like, this this guy's good and then you're like oh wait no back to reality he's not that good um, and I think that I hope at least I think that's the case I mean sometimes you do find these diamonds in the rough 
in the late later rounds of a draft. And of course, Tom Brady, everyone's going to talk about Tom Brady, but like the same goes for Dak Prescott, Tony Romo. I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks who were taken late who came in later in their career and finally started to start and were great. Um, so I, I just don't think he's one of them. And I don't think the jets are enough of a team to, to compete when the bills get their shit together and play the right way. And uh, you know, you can look at the bills and say that they played poorly and lost, you know, they're Oh, two and one against the spread their last three games. Um, but they were also very close to winning three, three out of the three games. I mean, they were a slip away from beating Tennessee. They were a couple of plays and a field goal away from tying and possibly going into overtime. And of course they didn't cover those games, but the, the team, even when they play horribly are still right in there. I mean, we're, we're, pa- we're past the years of the bills losing by 24 and 31 points and just getting their doors blown off and just getting garbage time yards. Like, you know, we're still getting, I mean, Josh Allen for having a bad game last week still threw for like 275. So, I mean, he still had a good game comparatively statistically speaking. I mean, we didn't get any touchdowns and he got sacked and, and, you know, there's been, there was a couple other really, I mean, the, the offensive line was just a turnstile. Yeah, the he turned the Cody ball Ford, over. In my opinion, he turned the ball over not necessarily because he's a bad quarterback. It's because he was getting the shit kicked out of him, and he yeah. he was feeling uh, he was feeling his bones getting rattled uh, before they were getting rattled. You know, and that's what <laughs> happens. That's and you, so he's unloading the ball and he's throwing it into harm's way and he's and he's trying to think of making a move when he should be protecting the ball. And that's that's what happens when you're the the best running back and happened to be the quarterback on your team. And, and it all falls on your shoulders. Did you see that like blood stain on his Jersey, on his shirt? Right. Yeah. On his left uh, bicep. Yeah. So I don't know if that had, that was something also, cause it was definitely getting bigger as the game went on. So he probably wasn't also feeling very good because of all that and getting beat on. And I, I was, I was texting with my brother and sister. I was like, if, how does Cody Ford even get on the plane to go home? Like, just give him bus fare and go get, get out of here. Like how, and again, I've probably mentioned this before, like that's the reason why I could never be a coach in a football, on a football team. Like I would literally take Cody Ford's helmet and I would throw it into the crowd and go get, get out of here, <laughs> go back into the locker room. Cause you're awful. You like, don't need like, this. There's, yeah. I don't, I could, I could go out there and I could do that. Like, come on. It was, it was just pathetic. And what a, what an absolute waste of a, of a high pick. And I know that people, other media outlets have talked about how taking Boogie Basham in the second round was a wasted pick, but dude's barely playing. And we had glaring issues on the offensive line and with cornerback and they didn't do anything. Boogie Basham could be great in a year or two, but we don't need him to be great in a year or two. We need an offensive line today. So what are your thoughts That's on the total 47 and a half, uh, two teams that have trouble scoring, but have, have scored. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, you never know with, with a healthy Mike white, he could throw for 400 <laughs> throw the record again. books out with Mike white. Yeah. We could, you, you don't know with that guy. You really don't. Um, but I, I honestly believe that the bills are going to cover the spread and I think it's going to go over. I think they're going to win in my mind. They're going to win easily like by like 20 
points. So like a 35, 15, you know, 34, 14 type of thing. I really do. So I'm going to, I'm going to go bills and I'm going to go over. Any other, uh, anything else on the board that you like? Uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's three games that I really like. Um, Tennessee Titans minus two and a half, which I bet. And now it's, I think it's at three because of um, Kamara's out for the okay. Saints. So I bet them at two and a half. It's probably now three everywhere else, but I got two and a half because I really liked that line. That line should be, in my opinion, more like a five, five and a half. Not you that it's going to get there. Get it. You can still get it for two and a half at win and also at FanDuel. So it is still two and a half. You can, if you shop. Take it. And uh, LA Chargers minus three. All right. And uh, that's against Kansas. Minnesota. Chargers are at home. Yep. yep. And uh, the Kansas City Chiefs playing in Las Vegas, Nevada, minus two and a half. I think the the I think the line is right. I really do um, with that game. But I think the Raiders just are are just having so much trouble going on now. There's more stuff with Gruden trying to sue the NFL. I've heard rumors that there that there's a huge like money issue with the team. I don't know if, if any of that rumor mill has come out to you about there's some some big issues with with money for the team. Um, well, that's been so, uh, that's been a Mark Davis thing for a long time. Yeah, so I, I've heard that more stuff is going to come out regarding them and it's going to just affect the team. That's what I've heard. Take it for what it's As worth. if they haven't been affected uh, and we haven't even, not to mention right. Henry Ruggs. Right. Yeah. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, before I let you go, Joel, I want to ask you about the green Bay line with Aaron Rodgers. Now he's expected to play on Sunday, but he will not have been with the team for 10 days, I guess, almost two weeks. And he's going to just be showing up to the plane on Saturday, or I'm sorry, the game's in green Bay. So there's no uh, flight to, to worry about, but Seattle at green Bay, green Bay is a three and a half point favorite. Um, obviously it's a huge variable. You really don't know. Uh, but with a player as important as Aaron Rodgers, your thoughts on him being away from the team. Um, or maybe it's, you know, like with Tennessee versus the bills last year when they didn't yeah. practice for two weeks, uh, maybe it's overblown. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers at this point of the season knows the plays and uh, can slip right in. I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah. I don't think Aaron Rodgers missing 10 days is a big thing. I really don't. Um, Seattle. I don't know how much Russell Wilson has practiced, but I know he's back this week. Um, so he's been out for a while, even longer. Um, they're traveling a long distance. Um, I, I think, if that line drops to three, that that I would I would strongly consider taking the Packers at three, um, three and a half. I think so. That half point, I'm I'm a little nervous about it, but I still think the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's been in the league. I don't know, God knows how many years, fifteen years, we'll say, and he, he knows that team. He knows that playbook. He's a, just an incredible athlete. So, him being out, missing a week or practice, is not like. Uh, I don't know, trying to think of a young quarterback, <laughs> Mike White missing 10 days of practice. Right. You know, he, he, he's going to walk right. He could, he's probably been, 
doing these plays in his head. He's been thinking about him in his sleep. I don't think him missing this time will slow him down at all. It'll be interesting to see if he comes back with something to prove uh, because we also saw very early in the season the very disinterested um, Aaron Rodgers. And, yeah. and uh, if he's – it'll just it'll just be interesting. And I'm sure that uh, the fans, maybe how the reception that he gets uh, in yeah. Lambeau Field, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how that, uh, how that plays out. Yeah, he definitely – lets his emotions affect his play and you can tell when he's not interested and you know like Cole Beasley had said like people he think he thought people were booing him um you, you never know if Aaron Rodgers comes in and he's getting booed or his teammates are give him some some guff maybe he just puts it in neutral because he doesn't he care he's the reigning mvp know? however he may have just cost his team probably cost his team a win by not being available yeah. against Kansas city last weekend. Um, maybe that costs, I mean, I, I don't know what the, what the, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the fans respond to their hero. Uh, maybe I they're mean, just tired of his act also. I mean, I, that's, yeah, they got, they, they got sick know. of Brett Favre in green Bay. They can get sick of uh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. They know he's, he, he's leaving. He wants to leave. He didn't want to play this year. Um, you know, they made some concessions and he made some concessions. So he's playing, but like, you know, it's, it's not like he's going to be there for very much longer. So yeah, if he starts winning and comes out and he's, and he's dealing and they score a couple times off the bat, like people are going to forget quickly, just like Cole Beasley. I think Cole Beasley is a, a moron, but I don't know him. I don't look up to him. Like I expect him to be a beacon for scientific knowledge. He's a football player. He, he went to college to play football. He has a career because he can play football, not because he's a doctor. So if he wants to think what he thinks, fine, go ahead and, and think that and, and be ignorant about stuff. That's fine. And maybe I'm ignorant because I just listen to doctors. But, but don't drop whatever. the 12 yard, uh, the 12 yard. Uh, exactly. Uh, pass across the a, middle that, uh, that you make it, a you make a third and 15 re, uh, <laughs> reception and dive across the to get the first down. I, I don't care. I'm yeah, sure a big drop a lot of last players. Week. Yeah, I'm sure that the players, there's a lot of players on the bills that I don't agree with something about them, their politics, their religion, their thoughts about the government, whatever. I'm sure there's a zillion things, but most of the time you usually just keep your mouth shut about it and you go about your business. But when it becomes vocal now, it's like now everyone who hates him really hates him or now hates him. Everyone who's pro how he believes now, all of a sudden they come out of the woodwork, that they love him, even though they've been saying they're boycotting football because of kneeling, but the whole thing's a big, just a big, no one gives a shit. No one cares. But you make a catch and I love you. You drop it and I hate you again. You know, like <laughs> I hate Cody Ford right now. Cody Ford comes in, they put him in at fullback and he, and he makes a, a touchdown catch in the end zone. I'm going to love him again. So that's just how, how, how fans are with their sports teams. You know, they do something great. You love them. And then when they mess up something, you hate them and you, whatever, it's a love hate relationship. Well, it'll be bad. We'll see what you think of Cody Ford in a couple of days. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if it'll, if it'll be much different. Uh, but to recap, Joel Staniszewski says, uh, take the bills and uh, give the jets 12 points. Take the over 47 and a half. Also take Tennessee, give new Orleans two and a half points. Take the chargers at home, give Minnesota three points. And Kansas City at Las Vegas, right there in Joel's backyard. Take Kansas City 
give the uh, the Raiders the uh, the potentially bankrupt Raiders, whether morally, ethically, <laughs> um, spiritually bankrupt Raiders, uh, go ahead and yeah. give them two and a half points. You got it. Joel, thanks for this. Sorry to get you wound up uh, about, uh, <laughs> about all kinds of stuff, but it, it's, it's fun. It's part of the fun. We don't, we don't know where we're going to land. We're just going to talk yeah. sports and uh, get some bets in and, uh, and then uh, you'll get your blood pressure up. Yeah. And so. I'm, I know, uh, I know you, you lived in Vegas for quite a while and I don't know how familiar you are with the intersection where Henry Ruggs got into that accident, but I, I am, I, I lived very close to there. It's, it's not, it is not a stretch of road where you open it up and can no. go fast, no, it's whether not. it's residential 60, it's just residential. So it's like, it'd be the equivalent of like driving down like union road in cheek It's not like we're talking about some stretch of road, like out in the boonies of Alden and you can just open it up. Cause it's just farms. I mean, I literally drove past it the next day. I was going to my friend's house and like, they still had spray paint, like where the cars were going. They had all these skid marks. There was, a little, a little display for the the girl, and it was just like, like there's a bunch of lights right in there. That it's like three lanes, but it's a very narrow three lanes because it's a bit of an older stretch of road. But it's just like, that's just crazy. Like that's just completely asinine, and uh, it just baffles my mind that this person with all of this talent in the world just doesn't even have the 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 smarts to even not drive 156 miles an hour on a, on a 40 mile an hour stretch of road. It's just mind blowing. With other people out there that you can injure and then somebody right there in the car with you. Yeah. You know, his girlfriend, the mother of your child, right? Yeah. You just no care for anybody. It's crazy. Well, maybe uh, the Raiders are cursed and uh, congratulations on your NFL team in Las Vegas. I hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Nope. It's always go Bills. But I, will, stand I, do, back, I do back the Golden Knights when it's not a Sabres game. So when it's not a Sabres game, I do back the Golden Knights, except Robin Leonard. Whenever anyone starts talking about the Golden Knights, I always say, Robin Leonard is a drunk piece of shit. And people get mad. And they go, oh, he, he mentioned that he, had, he has problems. I say, hey, we all got problems. I don't come to work drunk and pretend like I'm not. And then then try to talk about well, he's reformed well, you know. he's been he's been good since then he's been yeah. as far as we know well, then then can he pay the sabers back his three years salary for for shitting the bed for three I years see. i see well how about this tell us about jack eichel are you happy about that he didn't want to play there he didn't want to play in buffalo anymore can you root uh, for him as a golden knight i think so again they only play the sabers twice a year so it is a little easier. They're in a different conference. Uh, they're not totally competing for seeding with the Raiders, even, you know, there's, there's, exactly. there's reasons. So, so Leonard, fine. That's great. That's fine. Whatever. But the, the trade that we got for, for Eichel, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Like for a player that didn't want to play in Buffalo anymore, you actually got a decent haul. Joel, you're saying we, in regard to the, the Golden Knights, it seems as though you favor the Golden Knights more than the Sabres. It's the, it's the royal we. The royal we. We're I both see. we. I see. It's hard to, it's, you know, they're good. They're a good team. They're fun to watch. Um, you know, so I like them. I do. Just not when the Sabres play. The Sabres are pissing you off. It's easy, it's easy to latch on to the other team in your, <laughs> right. in your fandom when uh, the Sabres are doing what they do. 
Well, Joel, right. thanks for this. Um, All right, thanks. If you if you catch wind of any good Eichel prop bets, let me know. If there are any good right. uh, Eichel surgery prop bets. All right, I'll keep an eye out. All right, and uh, hey, be, be sure to pass along any other uh, Raiders gossip when you hear that those checks oh, are bouncing. I'll let you know. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.